We're in a series, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series called Here. Uh, and every weekend we are uh, teaching on either a core value of our church or a tenet uh, of our faith. And this is now the third week that we've been in this series and we'll actually be uh, in this series all the way through the month of October as well. So the first weekend was Here We Baptize uh, and the second uh, last week was here we worship, and this weekend is here we pray. Here we pray. Now, we've been doing something that might be a little bit silly, uh, but it's kind of reinforcing what we're doing, so let's do it again. Here. Come on. Here. One more time. Here we pray. That's what we do here, okay? So um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to uh, the book of Matthew chapter number 6. Book of Matthew, chapter number six. And before uh, I read uh, what I want to read to kind of orient us, I want us to uh, look at a couple of definitions. And before we do that, we're going to pray. So bow your heads and let's pray over the word. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us the opportunity to pray. Amen. Now, um, if you know anything about uh, your faith, it would be impossible for you to continue without a prayer life. It is absolutely essential that people who are believers in Jesus Christ have a prayer life. You won't have power without a prayer life, and you won't have a connection to God without a prayer life. I think a lot of times when we talk about the word prayer, uh, people already have uh, a certain definition in their mind or a certain posture that they're supposed to have uh, or assume that they're supposed to have as it relates to prayer or what it means to pray. A lot of people, uh, you, you know, in our uh, communities of faith, if somebody says, you know, I'm going through this or going through that, we, we'll end the conversation by, by saying, hey, I'm going to be praying for you or I'll be praying for that or, or I'm praying for this. Uh, and we're supposed to do that. By definition, we're supposed to pray for people, but I want to give you two different definitions so you can know uh, where we're pointing our emphasis today. Uh, pray, by definition, means this, to offer devout petition, praise, or thanks to God. To offer devout petition, praise, or thanks to God. When we are praying like that, we are, we are praying for people. We might be thanking God for a prayer being answered. We're sending a petition up to the Lord and saying, on behalf of my brother or my sister, God, would you do this? Or in my own life, I'm going through this, that, and uh, I would like you to intervene on my behalf. And we're petitioning something before the Lord. Scripture is full of examples of us praying to God for that to happen, praying to God for breakthrough, praying to God for deliverance. If you are sick, it calls for us to uh, the elders to lay hands on the sick and, and, and so they can recover. And so this is all important as a part to prayer. But there's another, another definition that I want you to have uh, that will orient you to the direction that we're aiming here today. OK, here's the, another definition for pray to enter into spiritual communion with God. To enter into spiritual communion with God. When you hear that definition, it completely changes the trajectory of your prayer. 
Because we're not talking about a petition. We're not talking about asking God for something. We're not talking about what we want him to do. We're talking about having a conversation with our dad. We're talking about having conversation with God, the creator. And so uh, this is uh, the working definition that I want us to go with as we talk about prayer today. And I have to give you the definition of communion. As you know, I'm a wordsmith and I love words. And so I couldn't ignore the word communion. And I want to give you the root word commune. Here's the definition. To converse or talk together, usually with profound intensity, intimacy, etc., interchange of thoughts or feelings. To converse or talk together, usually with profound intensity or intimacy. May I ask you a question? Are you praying? Are you having conversations with God? Or are we just asking him for a bunch of stuff? Going into our quiet time with the Lord and maybe asking a bunch of stuff or complaining about a bunch of things instead of simply just talking to him. So your Bible should be open to Matthew chapter number six, and we're going to read a lot of scripture today, and I don't apologize for that because we're in a church, so (laughs) probably going to read the Bible, okay? Matthew chapter number six, uh, starting at the fifth verse, says this. This is Jesus talking. Uh, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I'll tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, this sounds like the definition of commune right here. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door, and pray to your father in private. Sounds like a communion right there. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, we believe in corporate prayer. We, we have corporate prayer here every Thursday evening in this building. We come together and have corporate prayer. And I thank God for the intercessors uh, of Embassy City Church because we wouldn't be able to do everything we've done in 12 months if it wasn't for prayer. But I want to make sure that we're not always getting together and praying and then going home privately and not. Are we having daily conversations with our dad that have nothing to do with anything except talking to him? I want you to look in Matthew chapter number 14, just a few chapters over. Matthew chapter number 14, verse 23. Now, just to give you context, uh, Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000, feeding the 5,000, and After he had done that, here's what it says in uh, Matthew chapter number 14, verse number 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Now I want you to look at Mark chapter number one. Mark chapter number one, verse number 35 says this. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. I can show you over and over again in the Gospels where Jesus got away from the crowd, even his disciples, to go talk to his dad. Now, I want you to think about this. 
We don't see him praying before he does the miracles. A lot of times we, we go to God in prayer, God, I need you to use me. God, I really need a breakthrough. I'm about to minister. God, I'm about to preach. God, I'm about to sing. God, I really need this job. I'm going into this interview. I really need you. Come on, God, I need you. And then after the ministry moment, we go to look for affirmation from people more than we do our dad. We get back in the car after the job interview and we call our friend. I think it went well. Probably going to get hired. I nailed that. He asked this one question. Ooh, I knew I was going to get it. As soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, bang, I got this answer. You know the first person I talk to when I'm done preaching? It's God. I would like to know if he was pleased with the message. Because if he was pleased with the message, I won't go into that foyer and hope you liked it. Could you imagine how tormented I could be if based on what you thought about the weekend service was going to base the way I feel about the weekend service? I really loved your message. Oh, great. Oh, my God, I feel great. Hey, Pastor, I didn't like that message at all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm horrible. The only person I want to know who liked the message is him. And let me tell you something, there's been messages he didn't like. <laughs> because I did not say everything he told me to say. And he dealt with me about it. And I don't need to get spanked three or four times before I learn my lesson. It happened about two good times and I said, I bet you that'll never happen again. <laughs> I will say whatever you want me to say. I um, have the privilege one of my favorite things to do uh, after I finish preaching somewhere is to call my dad. I love talking to my dad. My dad is a walking miracle. If you ever get the opportunity to hear his whole testimony, it'll blow your mind. In 2003, he uh, suffered a brain aneurysm uh, and was given a 1% chance to live. He was in the critical care unit for months. He actually coded, uh, code blue, uh, while he was telling me and my younger brother that he loved us, yes. and he actually died, yes. and he came back to life, yes. and he's here. Yes. So, so one of the things I love to do after I'm done preaching or, or I'm traveling, once I get in the car, I'll just call my dad, and I'll talk to him all the way home. I don't want nothing. I don't need nothing. When I was younger, I always needed something. But I've matured, and I don't need as much, except his voice. When you first get saved, there's a lot of prayers, because you need a lot. Lord, I need patience. I'm about to kill her. Lord, I need money. I'm broke. Lord, I need peace. I'm going crazy. Lord, I need a man. I need a husband. I need a wife. I need stuff. And when you start maturing, 
You start going, I don't need anything except you. <laughs> if I have you, I, I, I think I'll be okay. So I have four points today, okay? Four points that I want to cover with you. And uh, here's the way that I want you, hey, take notes, okay? This, this is a note-taking church. Take notes, because nerds rule the world, all right? All my nerds, make some noise. All my nerds. Okay, now, if you're not a nerd and you didn't make any noise, you're going to work for the person that did. <laughs> nerds rule the world, I'm trying to tell you, okay? Okay, so take notes. If you're too cool for school, you don't like taking notes, take notes anyway, okay? If you don't know how to work your phone, copy off the person next to you, okay? But... I want you to have these, okay? So what I want you to write up at the top is when I talk to God, dot, 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 okay? When I talk to God, dot, dot, dot. And we're going to work our points off of that statement, when I talk to God. I want you to turn to uh, Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. I'm going to read the first 16 verses, and I'll give you the context that I want you to have. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Uh, he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, underline this, and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to do what? Pray. It was about noon and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter declared. This is always the thing with Peter. <laughs> Peter is always talking back. <laughs> no, Lord. <laughs> like, who does this? You have not learned your lesson at all. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times and the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Point number one, write this down. Uh, when I talk to God, I find out what to do. When I talk to God, I find out what to do. Let me sum, surmise uh, the, the rest of, or summate, the rest of uh, chapter 10. And you should go back and read it because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, a Gentile man who had a fidelity to God prayed every day to God. And God started talking back to him. A Jewish man who had a fidelity to God prayed out to God and God started talking to him. And what happened here was absolutely revolutionary and it would revolutionize the early church, because uh, never before had a, gen had a Gentile man had a Jewish person in their house. It was against Jewish law for, for an Israelite to go inside of a Gentile house. 
Because of the Levitical law, it was determined that any time a Jewish person would go into a Gentile house, they would inevitably have to break their Jewish laws by eating something that was not going to be prepared in a kosher way. But two men talked to God. And one man heard God say, send for a man named Simon Peter. And then when the other man talked to God, he saw a vision of a sheet coming down with animals, reptiles, and birds in it. Unclean animals that they were sworn in uh, Jewish law not to eat. And here's what God says. Hey, eat it, Peter. No, I'm not eating that. It's against the law to eat that. He said, don't call something that, that I call clean, unclean. When he comes out from the vision, he's very perplexed. And these men uh, uh, come into Joppa. They find out where Peter is. And the Holy Spirit tells Peter, hey, there's some guys down there that want you to go somewhere and you need to go with them. And it's a Gentile person. See, it would have been different if Cornelius went to Peter's house. But God wanted Peter to go to Cornelius' house. With all of the social injustice and racial tension that's going on in the earth right now, the stuff that we see in the news feed that's on a constant right now, there's only one thing that's going to stop that. Two people that talk to God. Before we have our next platform and, and, and uh, uh, political uh, uh, wrangling about how we're going to stop this stuff, I bet if we talk to our father, he would tell us exactly what to do. Peter comes to Cornelius' house and he says, um, the Lord was talking to me and he showed me this vision and I'm supposed to come here. And, and, and Cornelius said, yeah, because I prayed and he told me to call for you. And he started giving the message of the gospel in this Gentile house. And the Holy Spirit came down in this Gentile man's house in the same way it did in Acts chapter number two with all the Jewish people. And they got filled with the Holy Spirit and all of the Jewish people were scratching their hair like, oh, so basically... You kind of want everyone in the swimming pool. This gospel was not exclusive to us, but you want to redeem everybody that wants to be redeemed by you. You know, one of the things I love about being in Irving, there is no ethnic majority over 25 percent here. Four years ago, this was the most racially diverse zip code in the United States of America. Queens, New York was number two. You know what that tells me? God wants everybody in the pool. And the only way we're all going to get in the swimming pool is not to talk to each other about what do you believe in? Oh, my God, are you Baptist? Or did you come from a Catholic background? Do you believe in water baptism? Do you believe in baptizing in Jesus' name only or Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Did you come back from a primitive Baptist background? Or did you come from Church of God in Christ? And oh, my God, that denomination, AG doesn't hang out with these people. How about you go talk to your dad? You know what he'll tell you? Do a cannonball in the pool and get along. That's what he'll tell you. I promise you, that's what he'll tell you. But we spend a lot of time talking to each other before we talk to God. And I think if we talk to God, we would have less to say to each other about where we're different and more to say to each other about where we're alike. When we talk to God, he tells us what to do. Point number two, go to uh, the book of Acts. Stay in the book of Acts, I should say. Go to uh, chapter number 16. 
Just good to anybody beside me? Good. Okay, Acts chapter number 16, uh, starting at the 25th verse. Let me give you uh, context here. So uh, Paul and Silas are uh, going through um, a, a town, and there is a little girl who is uh, possessed by a demon, uh, and she is a fortune teller. Now, uh, fortune telling is nothing but uh, a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy that has been corrupted and perverted by Satan. Okay, got to remember, Satan was created. He, ha he has no creative power, okay? He's a created being. And the only resources he has to use, both spiritually and naturally, are things that God created, okay? So a for th this, this divination spirit uh, is nothing but a spirit of word of knowledge or prophecy that has been perverted, okay? This little girl was making a lot of money for her employers going around doing all this fortune telling. And when Paul and Silas came into the neighborhood, she was behind them every day going, hey, these are the people that have come to preach Jesus Christ to us. You should listen to them. These are the people that have come to preach Jesus Christ. Now, on the surface, that looks like this is great. We have our own hype man. We have a hype girl. She's just walking around behind us. This is good for business. We didn't even, we didn't even tell her to do it. She was doing it. But, but, but Paul started getting vexed. And here's why Paul was getting vexed because there was a person behind them screaming about Jesus, but didn't follow Jesus. <laughs> and one day, this little girl's behind him, screaming, 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 and Paul turns, turns around and just cast the spirit out of the little girl. And her employers got mad because fortune telling was done from that day forward. I mean, they didn't get any, he shut down their economy like this, okay? Had them arrested. They're in a Roman province. Had them arrested. They get punched, beaten, kicked, and they're in jail. Now, we're going to pick up. Some of you all may be familiar with this passage, but there's a perspective that I want you to have, okay? Acts chapter number 16, starting at the 25th verse. Here's what it says. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, underline that, and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Here's the response. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with them, uh, with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Point number two, write this down. Uh, when I talk to God, I will find out what not to do. When I talk to God, I will find out what not to do. How many people are, are, have been in church long enough to be familiar with this passage of Scripture? At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And I've heard some great sermons around it. Praise until you you know, praise your way out. Get your breakthrough. Praise him. Praise him. Okay? <laughs> praise your way out of bondage. Praise your way out of sickness. Praise your way out of pain. The chain's about to come off. The chain's about to come down. Your deliverance is on your way. You're about to get the biggest breakthrough of your life. There is power 
in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And we just get all the most, woo! And it's just, it's fantastic. Hallelujah! Break the chains, Jesus! Okay? I believe in all of that. I believe in praising God and praying until a breakthrough happens. However, in this scripture, that's not what they were praying about. You know what, how I know that they weren't praying about that? Because the earth shook and the shackles fell off and the doors flew open and they didn't move. So... Like if that was their prayer, they clearly didn't get the point. Because like they didn't move. They weren't supposed to move. Because had they moved, the Philippian jailer and his entire household wouldn't have met Jesus. You know what happens when you talk to God? He'll tell you what not to do. Even when it looks like all the signs point that you should do something. You might want to leave your job. I'm sick of this. I'm out of here. Ain't going to treat me like that. And God's going, no, stay. No, I'm going to praise my way out of this. <laughs> Putting my earphones in, pressing that button, and I'm going to praise my way out of this. And after you do all of that, and then you pray and talk to the Lord, come on, God, Lord, give me a sign because I'm ready to go. And you find out you can be transferred to a different part. And then, oh, that's my sign. And God says, no, stay right here. Because that, that person two cubicles over won't meet God if you leave. You know why Paul and Silas decided to start praying at midnight? Because they loved their dad. They started singing hymns to God for no other reason that they loved him. They didn't know the earth was going to shake. It wasn't about like 1145. They're like, look, sick of this. Mm -mm, we out of here. We're going to praise him until something happens. You ever heard that? We're going to praise him until something. Come, come on, start the organ. Just think about that context, first century church. There is no organ. There is no tambourine. We're about, to, we're about to praise him until something happens. Listen, these people had devoted their life to Jesus, not to magically get out of bad circumstances, but to fellowship with him. And that means sometimes in suffering. He just started praying to God, God, I love you, and whatever they were saying, and they started singing hymns to him. Earth started shaking. Chains fell off of them. Prison doors opened. Not just for them, everybody. The people that were listening got freed. <laughs> How about that? And the Philippian jailer, who is a Roman soldier, and he knows if they all flee on my watch, it's going to be my head. So he just said, I'm going to follow my sword. And Paul was like, stop, in the dark. <laughs> he, didn't, he wasn't looking at them. They were down in the dungeon. He was upstairs, and God was like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill myself. Paul was like, stop, don't do it. We're all here. What? 
We're all down here. Like we're still here. Like nobody ran. We're all right here. Flipping Jella comes down there. And he doesn't say, how come you guys didn't run? Between him being upstairs and downstairs, the Holy Spirit had met with that man. And by the time he got downstairs, the only thing he said was, how can I get saved? <laughs> Talk to your dad. And he'll not only tell you what to do, he'll tell you what not to do. Point number three. Go to uh, Philippians chapter number four. Thank you, mommy. <laughs> Philippians chapter number four. Just one verse. The sixth verse says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, comma, and thank him for all he has done. Point number three, write this down. When I talk to God, I remember what he has done. I'll be very, very quick on this point. If the enemy ever tries to think, trick you into thinking it's all bad, I want you to write down a list of the things that you need. The Bible says it's okay to do that. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. But there's a comma there. And connects a sentence. Thank him for all he has done. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that there is no way that you can write a list of things you need from God, present tense, right now, that if you wrote down a list next to it of the things that he has already done, it was not going to supersede the things that he already, that you have need of. If you compare both lists, your list for the things that you need right now will always be shorter than the things that he has already done in your life. Can I get an amen right there? So, yes, ask him for what you need. But thank him for what he's already done. Do you know what I spend the majority of my time doing when I talk to my father now? When I start thinking about my childhood, I just thank him. I thank him for stuff like, Dad, I'm so grateful you didn't kill me when I was a kid. Because I have two kids now, and I have hope they'll live. Because you let me live. And thank you for providing for me and going out of your way. And my, my, my dad would get up, you know, he worked nights, and then he would get off in the morning and take my brother and I to the park. We were about 19 or 20 years old sitting around the table one day before we realized, when did dad sleep? <laughs> like, when did this guy get a nap? He worked and he took care of us and he loved my mommy. And I, I mean, I have the best dad ever. He's awesome. He makes me think about my heavenly father. Because that guy at some point did need to get some rest. He doesn't. He never sleeps. He never slumbers, and he's been very, very good to me. So remember what he has done, okay? Point four, I want you to go to Thessalonians chapter number five. First Thessalonians. There's two of those, real thin. But first Thessalonians chapter number five, verse number 17, three words, real, real simple. Never stop praying. 
never stop praying. Point four, write this down. When I talk to God, I am reminded to never stop. King James and New King James lovers says pray without ceasing. I like it better translated in the New Living Translation because pray without ceasing has given some people the erroneous indication that you're supposed to be praying nonstop. Like, practically, that's not possible. Like, you won't have a social life if you pray every minute of the day. And I've offended the prayer warriors in the room, I know. Mm-mm, devil is a lie. I pray. You're not going to stop me from praying. You're not going to have a good marriage if you're praying all the time. You can't order food in a drive-thru <laughs> if you are praying all the time. <laughs> Here's the true emphasis of this particular passage, and it's only three words, very simple. Never stop praying. Here's what it means. Don't give up on talking to your dad. You know what the enemy would love for you to do? In a season of vulnerability, in a season where you're going through the worst scenario of your life? Hey, man, stop talking. For what? It's not changing anything. He's not listening to you. You must have did something wrong. Remember when you were nine? And you stole that sandwich? God still hasn't forgiven you for that. And here you are, 45, going, I did steal the sandwich. (laughs) Don't stop talking to him. Even when he's not talking back, don't stop talking to him. Never stop praying. I had an illustration that I was going to use with this particular point, and then the Holy Spirit today, as I was praying a little bit more before I came here, said to me, I I need you to address something. And I feel this strongly, and I'll end after this. There are some people in this room that have been hurt by either a natural father or a spiritual father or mentor in your life, a male. And because of that wound, it's hard for you to relate to God as father. When we sing a song like, he's a good, good father, sometimes it's hard for people to process, is he really? Because all I've ever known is hurt. I sat and counseled with a young lady one day who went through an incredible traumatic experience in her life. At the age of four years old, she was molested by an older cousin. Her father walked in the room during the act. And he looked at her and he looked at him and he closed the door and went to his room. He did nothing about it. 
And I remember sitting down with her, and the Holy Spirit told me to ask her, how do you feel about the Holy Spirit? She said, oh, I love him. I said, how do you feel about Jesus? I love him. He's my savior. I said, how do you feel about God, the Father? She says, oh, there's no such thing. There, there is no God, the Father. There, there's, there's, I heard people talk. I know, I know about the Trinity and all that. I don't, uh-uh. No, there's no way because if, if he's anything like my dad, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm cool with Jesus. I'm cool with the Holy Spirit. There's, uh-uh, never talking about God the Father. I don't do dads. That's just off. It's going to be hard for you to have a great prayer life if you have a father wound. I feel very strongly that today God wants to start a healing process for those of you all that have been hurt by a father figure. Here, we pray. Not just corporate prayer and praying for stuff and praying for people, praying for healings. That's all great. But I want each and every one of us to have a personal relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross so we could be reconciled to God as Father. And the enemy would love nothing more than to rob us of that relationship because of a wound that is in our heart. And I say that there would be no greater day to see that stop than here, right here, right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?